0: This morning the, the psalm that we're looking at Psalm 19 is I hope going to be for those that missed the Bible study and that's the reason why I'm having this as, as part of a kind of killing a multiple multiplicity of birds with one stone because I know we've got those that are teaching class downstairs and are not able to be in our uh, study in the book of Psalms and as a result of that I wanted for us to go through this because of the study that we're engaged in and What I'm wanting to share is that there's so much packed in. I mean, very economically speaking with regard to this. I mean, every word is so powerful in every psalm and it's indicative of God's word in totality. But when you're dealing with it from a poetic standpoint, it's just absolutely powerful. And so I wanted to share the psalm as we kick off our study um, over the next few months in the book of Psalms. And I also wanted to be able to do it from a standpoint that when, when you deal with psalms and we're dealing with the emotions, the author is trying to get at us. Well, I was wondering how to explain part of the psalm. And I thought, you can't explain. You're reading it, but what's supposed to happen is we're supposed to take and stop, breathe, and let everything soak in. And so imagine these first words. In the Psalms, when the, well, for instance, in this Psalm, it's attributed to David. In fact, the superscription, if you look at your Bibles in Psalm 19, it was not read by Sawyer. And I meant to ask Sawyer to read the superscription. It was given up over here at the very top. These are actually part of the written text. It's not part of our English additions into the Bible. These are actual Hebrew words that are written. And so it says, for the choir director, a Psalm of David. And what I've learned from Hebrew scholars is that it could be either written by David or it's about King David. So it's not necessarily that when you read the Psalms, it says this, that is by him himself. It could be about him, about his life, things of that nature. But anyway, here is something that I thought it's better seen than actually um, spoken about. So for those that are going to be listening to this on um, or on Podcast or whatever it's on when it's on audio on the website there's going to be about a minute of silence because i'm going to have you guys look at a few slides and then a short video with regard to these first six verses and tell me if that's not impactful to the first six verses of this psalm so go ahead steve It's going to turn off the light so we can see this a lot better all right so this is psalms 19 verses 1 through 6 and then we'll continue with the sermon itself i want you to see this Is that not impressive? What you saw, the first picture was from Maui, Haleakala. So at the summit, and you're seeing the sunrise. And you're seeing the picture of the sun as it's making its way across the sky, across the heavens as the Hebrew poet would say. And and you're seeing after that beautiful sunset, all these stars that our light pollution cannot enjoy. Or we can't enjoy because of the light pollution. But you have people with these beautiful, amazing cameras nowadays that can bring in all the light. And so we get to see our galaxy that we live in, right? The Milky Way. I was looking up just before the sermon, just for the sake of that last video that you saw. Anyone pick up on the video other than whoever I asked before the sermon? You guys pick up on where that is? Anyone? Orion's belt. Those three stars, Right? Well, stars. And all those gases are what's called the pillars of creation, right, in, in um, Orion's nebula. That is a section, a small, almost microscopic, if I can say it that way, microscopic section of our galaxy, the Milky Way. If you were to travel at the speed of light, and I forget what the speed of light speed is, 180, 687,000 miles per second, Okay, so I got it right. So imagine traveling that fast. According to scientists, they've measured the Milky Way galaxy at approximately 100,000 light years. So travel at that speed, the speed of light for 100,000 years, and that's our galaxy, give or take. This is a very close picture. In fact, NASA has updated their um, their... Photography, what's called the I forget what it's called, the XDF, Extended Depth Field or something like that. I forget what it's called. Uh, but they, with the pictures from the Hubble telescope, they can go actually into Orion's nebula. And you can take a virtual tour through it, through all the photography. It's just fantastic. Well, that picture is so close to us. It only takes about 200 light years to get there. <laughs> and, and it could go from one end of Orion's nebula to the other end, which is about 1,200 light years from us. Take a picture in your mind of what you just looked at. It's phenomenal. Now, one more time, read these first six verses with me and see if we don't get a sense of the awe of what the author is getting at when he's trying to make this point and the main point of this particular Psalm. The heavens are telling of the glory of God and their expense is declaring or shouting forth the work of his hands. Day to day pours forth speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech Nor are their words, their voice is not heard. And yet line has gone out through all the earth and their utterances to the end of the world. In them he has placed a tent for the sun, which is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber. It rejoices as a strong man to run his course. Its rising is from one end of the heavens and its circuit to the other end of them. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So here is the skies, the heavens, the firmament. And from this Hebrew picture, you're having this picture of within these heavens are all that you can see. And every day and every night, what you get to see is the glory of God. And that's why all these pictures, I mean, scientists, the pillars of creation, the irony of it all with science, the pillars of creation. And all these people have all these nicknames for a variety of these gases that make up nebulas or these galaxies that we look at through this telescope. I mean, this is, by the way, All the stuff that that you can look at in in a lot of these details now are things that were found about 200 or so years ago through astronomers that naturally had been known for centuries and millennial prior with regard to various aspects of various constellations and what have you. And, And the picture that we get is, as the psalmist is saying here, is look at the glory of God because the heavens are shouting it every single day. Not a word spoken. You cannot hear it, although interestingly enough, I forget where, if it's in the state of Virginia, someplace in the eastern part of our country, the size of a football field is this apparatus that's actually trying to listen to sounds in our galaxy. So interesting that we're trying to listen for these sounds. And here, the writer is saying, you can't hear anything, and yet the heavens are shouting the glory of God. So that's the picture that is given. And what is interesting, and a lot of people love Psalm 19 for uh, apologetic standpoints because I think it's teleo, I forget whatever it's called, but it's basically where you try to prove the existence of God through the existence of the creation. And what you have is, is this concept here. If I told you, was this a mistake? Mona Lisa. Just saw it in the dumpster. A lot of tomatoes and grapefruits and hamburger meat and everything. It was all, This is what came out of, the, out of the, the dump. You'd laugh at me, right? Well, you'd say, no way. That is a sign of absolute art. Well, many people would say that. <laughs> There's a designer behind this. You saw all of the beautiful things that in the morning where Ray's dad is like looking at, having that experience, he said, of the beauty of God's creation and and having some closeness to God because God's handiwork is shouting out his glory. And that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing the designer or the creator behind all this beautiful creation that shouts out his glory. And so this is what the writer starts us off with. Now, what's interestingly enough is I told those that are in the Bible study this morning, this is a chiastic style of psalm, which means you've got symmetrical points at the beginning of the psalm and at the end of the psalm, and those symmetrical points meet in the middle, wherever that middle is in the psalm, right? And in this lyrical psalm, the main point is what the writer is intending for us. But I don't want to get to the main point yet because I want the main point to be at the end. This is our modern way of doing things. We kind of hit the punchline at the very end of the joke. Well, the same thing is said for uh, the psalm. I want us to actually go from the beginning of the psalm to the end of the psalm to get to the main point. So if you look at the last part of the psalm, I want us to see how it mixes in with the first part. The first part, the heavens declare the glory of God. The last part, man declares the grace of God. Okay? So look at the very last verse in this psalm. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. This psalm is shouting out Jehovah or Yahweh as the Hebrews would say. Right? In fact, as I was mentioning in our Bible study this morning, the beginning of this psalm, it's the heavens that are declaring Yahweh, but not by name. They're basically declaring the existence of deity. That's what the heavens are doing through the psalmist's narration of this psalm. But at the end of the psalm, it's very intimate. He's saying, Yahweh. Look at Yahweh. Let my words and let my heart, through its meditations, be acceptable in your sight, Yahweh. So there's something about the first part of the psalm and the last part that are very similar with one huge caveat. It's much more intimate. And so as we're looking at this, wonder, what is it that he is wanting to shout out about the grace of God? Well, when we look at the last few verses from verses 11 following, look at some of the points that are made here. Let's read verses 11 through 13. By them, that is by your word, and we'll get to his word when we read verses 7 through 10 again. By them, your servant is warned. And in keeping them, there is great reward. That's what your word does for me, Yahweh. Well, who can discern his errors? Acquit me of hidden faults. Acquit me of my, if I can use, hidden faults. Here's what God's word does. It discerns. It's like this sharp two-edged sword that is able to, to really get in at the heart of the issue of your life. And so he brings it home to himself, and he says, please, acquit me. That's his petition of my hidden sins or faults. Also, keep back thy servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not rule over me. This goes back to the very beginning of time, interestingly enough, when what you have is the very essence of this Psalm 19 found in the first three pages in the book of Genesis. Think about the fact that here is God saying explicitly, here is this tree, and in the middle of it is this one tree I don't want you to touch. So we all focus in on that one tree, right, immediately. And when the serpent comes along, representing temptation and sin and deception, all that that we can talk about with regard to Satan's work, here is mankind through Eve's voice saying "We, we shouldn't even touch this tree, let alone partake of the fruit, right? So we go back and we remember that story and after it was told, well, you know, when you do this, you're gonna be made just like God, so on and so forth. She... Actually, knowingly as well as man partakes of this fruit and the psalmist is saying please protect me from presumptuous sin I may sin unintentionally but I sin intentionally and please keep me from that and so this psalm is a petition at the grace of God that you would keep me that you would withhold me from sinning against you my creator my maker The one who gives me life and the one who redeems my life from my sins. Okay? So that's the picture that is given here as we're reading the psalm. But the main point. That's the reason why um, when in our songbooks, in older songbooks, it says Psalm 19. But really, it's only the the middle section of Psalm 19. That's why I think in the newer songbook that we have, it's called the law of the Lord. Because that's representing the very first line in this main point of the psalm. So remember, at the very beginning of the psalm is the heavens declare the glory of God. In the very end of the psalm, man declares the grace of Yahweh, or the grace of God. So what's the connector? Well, the connector is right here in the middle, verses 7 to 13. This is the glue that brings those two ends. This is what makes this chiastic uh, type of literature work in such beauty like the pictures that we saw. So read with me one more time. Verse 7 following. This is what we're familiar with. This is what many sermons are based on. And this is what um, is just so beautiful in its wording. The law of the Lord is perfect. Restoring or converting, in some translations, the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. And the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Now, when you go back through this psalm, in the very section of this psalm, what you are seeing is the connection of those two points that precede it, you know, that are before and after this section. But what he's focused in on is, number one, Yahweh. Everything is about Yahweh, right? And in this psalm, what he's saying is, don't. what we try to do in our American Western style of Bible study is we try and take Bible terms, like, for instance, in verse 7, law, or then in the latter part of verse 7, per, um, testimony, or then we get into precepts, or then we get into commandments, and we try to find all the little differences. That's not the Hebrew style. The Hebrew size, they're all synonymous. They all bring various aspects of those same words, but really what he wants you to focus in on the Torah. What we call the Old Testament. He wants you to focus in, in fact, that's what the Psalms are referred to as the new Torah, given in a very special way. That's what Psalms are used or viewed as by many of the, the Hebrew uh, writers. This is the new Torah. It's a way of looking at the Torah itself in in a worshipful light. And so what you have then is this picture of precepts, commandments, of judgments, of law and testimonies. They're all one and the same, this, this thing we call the Torah. And what he is saying is that this Torah is what converts me. This Torah is what brings me close to my God. No longer is he just God to me. He is Yahweh. And that's the difference between the creation, the heavens, and the very word of God. In this morning's Bible study, Ted was mentioning the difference between verses 1 through 6 and 7 through 13, and that he was saying, you know, one is kind of a a revelation. (laughs) And I'm going to put words in his mouth, generic revelation. (laughs) I think you would agree with that. And, And God's word is very specific in the revelation. He lets us know who He is through His Word. And we get to draw near in our relationship with Him. We get to have this kind of closeness to Him. We're not just some distant creation in the midst of hundreds of thousands of light years within our own galaxy. We're actually very intimately involved in Him and He and us. And that's the picture that is given. Of this psalm man's relationship to God and it's personal and what he wants from us is to see the very beauty of what God's Word does for us it transforms our lives and then here's how we get close to the very creator who made the very ends of our universe let alone the very hair on our head so as you're going through and and you do your own Bible readings from day to day (laughs) Think about psalms that are written like this and look at the beauty that is meant to be held and and actually digested and not just read through for, I don't know, we've got a lot of books nowadays, right? Um, These devotional books, lots and lots of them. And we read them and we're done in five minutes and we move on with life for the rest of our day. These are meant to be hung on and chewed on and digested upon and letting it work through us. Imagine if we take the time to stop and actually look outside into the sky. Did any one of us do it this morning? Yet we'd pay 10, 20 bucks to go to some kind of planetarium to look at the very sky that is right before us. So God wants us to look at his creation and and just glory in, in, well, in him. Bask in his glory that the heavens shout out to us every single day. That his creation shouts out if we take the time to notice it. And you say, Well, you know, I don't have a close relationship with God. He wants you. He's given you an ability to not only look at his creation, going, Wow, there's got to be a creator, to saying, Not only am I here. I'm revealing myself to you very intimately. So you get to not only know me as God, you get to know me as Abba, Father, as Yahweh. That's what Psalm 19 does for us. And if that doesn't help you when you sing the song that we are singing the psalm, Psalm 19, the law of the Lord, as we sing it one more time as our invitation, then it should. These psalms move us They're they're meant to. They're lyrical. They're meant to be sung. They're meant to be um, in such a movement that it brings a welling from within our heart, within our soul, so that we can sing this as the writer wrote this. Now, for those that are expecting your typical sermon, this is very, very atypical of a sermon that I'll give. I want you to note one thing. This psalm actually shows The very salvation that god desires for you remember here's what the law of the lord the precepts of the lord the testimony of the lord the judgments of the lord are to do on you it's supposed to work on you to draw you in to say you know who am i i'm a sinner and god i want you to save me from my sins And that's what this psalm does. It gives you a sense of this salvation, this grace being offered to you to come to him. Now, naturally, it does not explicitly tell you what you need to do to become a child of God, but to become one, yes. To acknowledge you are created by your creator and not just by chance is very, very strongly pointed at in this psalm. But I'll make it very clear for you. As this psalmist I believe, implies the very beginning where God has created the heavens and the earth and wants us to see its beauty. On the very first pages of Scripture, we get to see what happens when man sins. He is sent off. What happened when God brings him back? And there is a transition in every single Bible story that has this major theme. Whenever man goes off into sin, he is in some kind of a desert or a wandering and when God calls him into the promised land, he passes a threshold. Whether it was the Israelites, whether it was at the very, very beginning when the flood took place, whether it was through the, um, the, the people of God during the days of Babylonian captivity, you'll see a river in every instance, a water, a sea where they cross over. They go into the waters and they come up out of the waters into a new Created territory, if you will. That's what you have. Whether it's the flood in Genesis 3, as Peter the Apostle refers to in 1 Peter chapter 3, or whether it's going to be through um, Abraham and his promise coming into the land of Canaan, uh, going through the river Euphrates, um, or the Israelites as they're coming out of Egypt and they're going into the promised land through the Jordan River, whatever it is. That's the picture that we see. If you want salvation, God is offering it to you intimately as his word teaches. What we get in a modern vernacular as we read it, is just a simple command, right? Repent, be baptized, everyone in your name of Jesus. And all that is absolutely true, but the beauty behind that that we'll see as we go through these psalms or as you read through your psalms from time to time are going to be these beautifully metaphoric pictures of these moments where man is being saved by God. And you have the opportunity to be saved by him today. Do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? The Son of God who has come into this world to save us from our sins? Do you believe that not only did he die on the cross, but he wants you to be in the likeness of his death as well as the likeness of his resurrection? That's the picture that we have. Through the commandment, we baptize. If you believe that he is the Christ, if you're willing to change and turn away from the way you've been living and draw near to Yahweh, you can have that. And brethren, if you need our prayers, by all means, every opportunity we get, whether it's Sunday, whether it's Wednesday, whether it's throughout the week, we'll pray for you if you want. So use this invitation as that standard or that song that we're now singing, pricks on your heart. Let's sing.